The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green for you and for Rick Ballou the rest of the week. We are glad you are with us. The 21st day of February. What does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. Number one, it is the first day the franchise tag window has opened in the National Football League for the next two weeks. Teams can place franchise tags on their most coveted free agents prior to the free agency market opening on March the 13th. So we'll certainly get into that when it revolves around Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor. Those are probably the two that might get the franchise tag put on them in Jacksonville. And February the 21st marks one month already since the Jaguars' season came to an end. Where'd that month go? A month since the Jaguars lost at Arrowhead back on January the 21st. So we got a lot to get into when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We are with you until 10 o'clock tonight, and we are glad you are with us. Guest lineup. Looks like this. Coming up in about 25 minutes or so, Kyle Lindeman, rotoballer.com. We'll do a little draft talk, a little Anthony Richardson talk with Kyle Lindeman. I'll tell you this. Combine next week, Anthony Richardson will be the most looked-at guy at the Combine. There are a lot of people that cannot wait to see Anthony Richardson's athletic ability up there in Indianapolis. So we'll talk Anthony Richardson We'll talk Jaguars offseason. We'll talk Jaguar needs as well. That's all coming up inside of about 25 minutes. In the 9 o'clock hour, how's this for a uh, calendar year? You beat your arch rival in Baker County for the first time in decades. You win your first district title ever on the gridiron. You become the Jacksonville Jaguar Prep Coach of the Year, and as a result of that, you are awarded with two Super Bowl tickets. Well, that was Rob Shields, the head coach of Baldwin High School, fresh off his trip from the Super Bowl last week. We'll talk to Rob Shields about that experience out there in Tempe, Arizona, or Glendale, Arizona. That's coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. And also, Florida State fans, interesting news for you today. Brian Allen, your former linebacker, the longtime head coach at Lake City Columbia High School, stepped down two years ago. Effective this morning, he's now back as the head coach at Lake City Columbia. How did it happen? Why did he step down originally? What brought him back two years later? We'll talk with Brian Allen about all of that coming up at the top of the 9 o'clock hour and finally the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. Matt Hayes, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. You read him at SaturdayDownSouth.com. We'll talk Mike Norvell contract extension in Tallahassee. We'll talk Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC a year early. Todd Munkin leaving Georgia to go to the NFL. What are they doing in Gainesville? There's a lot to get into, and we'll do that with Matt Hayes later on in the program. But as we always do, to kick it off on a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. 
All right, so there are a couple of things that I want to dive into here. A couple of big deals of the night, if you will. Number one, it has been a month. One month since the Jacksonville Jaguars season came to an end. There was heartbreak in this city. There was disappointment in this city. There was maybe a little bit of anger in this city. But by and large, there was also excitement for what lies ahead. So now fast forward a month later, February the 21st, less than three weeks out from free agency, less than two months out from the Jaguars reporting back to work, if you can believe that. Monday, April the 17th, off-season conditioning begins. Is there still an excitement for you, the Jaguar fan, of what lies ahead? Calvin Ridley has applied for reinstatement. That's probably the biggest thing that's happened in the last month. You did lose a couple of coaches, right? Chris Jackson, the wide receiver coach, gone. You bring in Chad Hall, the wide receiver coach from Buffalo. We found out yesterday Jim Bob Cooter. Again, I will miss saying that on a regular basis. I'll try to work it in as much as I can the weeks they play the Colts. But Jim Bob Cooter leaving Jacksonville to go be the offensive coordinator with the Indianapolis Colts. We're still waiting to hear who the Jaguars will have to fill that position. A month from now, we'll have much more clarity on the 2023 roster. A month from now, we'll know about a majority of the free agents. We will definitely know whether Evan Ingram's back, whether Jawan Taylor's back, whether Arden Key is back. So we're still about three weeks, three and a half weeks from getting some clarity on that. But is there still that level of excitement that there was even following the loss in Kansas City? I remember talking to you guys the week after that game, the last week of of, uh, January. Yeah, again, disappointment, sure. Frustration, absolutely. Guys were fired up. Fan base was fired up. Are you still fired up? A, have you gotten over the loss? I think you have. I think the city got over that loss pretty quickly. You know, it's easy to say that we should not have been there in the first place. Well, that's the reality. You shouldn't have been there. You were four and eight. The fact that you went from four and eight to the AFC divisional playoff is astounding. You're one of a handful of teams in the history of the league to be that bad 12 games in and still be playing in the divisional round of the playoffs. So it was hard to be that upset losing to Kansas City. I get it was a missed opportunity. Obviously, Mahomes was injured during that game. The Jaguars inexcusably let Chad Henney drive the ball 97 yards for a touchdown. But there was much, much, much more reason to be optimistic following that loss than there was to be upset or angry. And now a month later, I get the sense, correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the sense there is still an overwhelming confidence about this football team from this fan base heading in to 2023. Look at the division you play in. Think about what's happened in the last month in this division. 
Tennessee hired a brand new general manager, Rand Carthon, a general manager that has never worked with their head coach, Mike Vrabel. What will that dynamic be like? There are legitimate conversations about the future of both Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry in Nashville. Both guys are due a lot of money. Both guys aren't getting any younger. In fact, I believe Derrick Henry is coming into the final year of his deal. There was some talk this morning on ESPN, should Tennessee try to trade Derrick Henry going into the final year of his contract? I love Derrick Henry. I hate that he went to the Titans, but the guy's awesome. He's a local kid. We had him in radio studio numerous times during his high school career at Uly. I am a Derrick Henry fan. But let's be honest. We know what the shelf life is of running backs. 2017, 18, 19, 20, 20. You're talking six, seven years in the league. Six, seven years of getting the ball 300, 350 times. I don't care who you are. At some point, the body begins to break down. Should Tennessee think about moving on from Derrick Henry? See what they can get. It's probably his last year in Nashville regardless. Ryan Tannehill's making an extraordinary amount of money for what he gives you. Should Tennessee at least try to think about cutting him? Then you go to Houston, right? Brand new head coach and D'Amico Ryans hired in the last month. They own the number two pick in the draft. All indications are Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. They're going to take a quarterback, so you're more than likely going to have a first-year head coach and a rookie quarterback starting in Houston. And more than likely, that same exact scenario is going to happen in Indianapolis. They just hire Shane Steichen. They do bring in Jim Bob Cooter for the staff. But they hold the number four pick in the draft. Odds are they are going to go quarterback as well. So you look at where Jacksonville sat in this division six months ago, going into the 2022 season. The thought was they were going to be better than Houston, but they were clearly behind Tennessee and Indianapolis. And in the span of six months, heck, really, since Thanksgiving, this has not only become the Jaguars' division, it's overwhelmingly become the Jaguars' division. I don't think you're going to have one publication, not one, when preseason prognostications begin happening in May and June and certainly in July, I don't think ESPN, NFL Network, Sports Illustrated, Sporting News, you name it, CBS, I think everybody's picking Jacksonville to win the South. Everybody. Two brand-new head coaches, two rookie quarterbacks, more than likely, in Houston and Indy, and is Tennessee in a full rebuild. It's a good time to be a Jaguar fan, man. It's a good time. That brings me back to the franchise tag. Today is the first day you can put the franchise tag on your most coveted free agent. You have a two-week window between now and, I believe, Tuesday, March 7th. I don't believe there's an argument to put the franchise tag on Arden Key. I would love to have Arden Key back, but I don't believe that argument is there. The argument for me, if you're going to use it, is between Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor. Now, Evan Ingram sent out a tweet earlier. I think he was having fun. You know, it's so interesting. 
on social media how everybody jumps to the conclusion of conclusions five seconds after a tweet is sent out. Twitter is a garbage can. It really is. I like it. I have to do it for work. I interact with people, but it is a garbage can. And Evan Ingram replying to a tweet from the Jaguars' official handle today, talking about how great Evan Ingram was. Evan said something along the lines of, had to hold my breath, thought this was the announcement with a smiling emoji. Evan Ingram could be sipping a margarita somewhere in the middle of who knows where on vacation, or he could be at a gym somewhere. We don't know where Evan Ingram necessarily is, but wherever he is, he has phone access, he has access to Twitter, and he sends out this thing, maybe joking around. Oh, and Jaguar fans just ate it up, man, just ate it up. Did Evan Ingram let the cat out of the bag? When are they announcing the re-signing of Evan Ingram? I hope they do. I really hope Evan Ingram is back. You guys know this. I have prioritized Evan Ingram over Jawan Taylor as the guy I want back. If I can only keep one, that's the one I want. But just don't jump to so many conclusions so quickly when somebody puts something on social media. Having said that, franchise tag. There's a lot of reasons to put it on Evan Ingram. You cannot let him leave. I think that's first and foremost. You cannot let Evan Ingram leave in free agency. He's too important. He's too valuable. The only argument that there would be for me, and it's not even really an argument, but the only one is that he's going to be 29 before the season starts. So realistically, 29, 30, maybe 31, you probably got two, maybe three really productive years of Evan Ingram left. I don't know what he'll be doing at the age of 32 and beyond. So the fact that he turns 29 before the season would be the only thing that would give me pause. If you cannot reach a deal with Evan Ingram prior to the deadline two weeks from today, you franchise him. You pay him $11 million. You got to do it. Because I want to live in a world where the Jaguars are in a three-wide receiver set, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, with Travis Etienne in the backfield and Evan Ingram in the slot. That's what I want. And if that happens, I will be a happy camper. You imagine Kirk, Zay, Ridley, Ingram, Etienne, with Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback? Good grief. Good luck to opposing defenses. Is there an argument for Jawan Taylor? Yeah, there is. He's younger. What is Jawan Taylor? 25? 26 years old? He started every game in his NFL career, four years here in Jacksonville. Clearly played the best. But there is some sort of um, disconnect with Jawan Taylor. Like, folks here in Jacksonville, I'm included in that. We think Jawan Taylor have had a very good year because we watch every single Jaguar game. Yet, if you're an analytics person, if you're a pro football focus person, which I am, I love PFF, they're not all that high on Jawan Taylor, which is interesting to me. Having said that, I would love to find a way to bring Jawan Taylor back. But that's going to cost you. And I don't think you can franchise Jawan Taylor at that price tag. For an offensive tackle, it's in excess of $18 million. J. 
Jaguars aren't going to have that. I don't think, unless they restructure a lot of people. Well, Christian Kirk's going to restructure, you would think. Brandon Sheriff's going to restructure. They'll cut Shaq Griffin. Do you have to cut Roy Robertson-Harris? I hope not, but you may have to. They'll get under the cap and then some. That won't be an issue. But if you have to franchise Jawan Taylor and pay him $18 million, that potentially is a big issue. So I think Jawan Taylor, even though I don't like it, I think he's more likely to leave. And then it boils down to this. If Jawan Taylor leaves, do you trust Walker Little enough to be your opening day right tackle? Assuming Cam Robinson comes back healthy, which that is a fairly safe assumption. I haven't heard anything to the contrary. Your Cam Robinson's your left tackle and Walker Little's your right tackle. You got to find a new swing tackle. You got to find a new Walker Little if he is now your starter at right in case he or Cam go down. But you got two years left on Walker Little's rookie deal. It's not paying him very much at all. And if you feel confident that Walker Little can go into Jawan Taylor's spot and you knock on wood that Cam Robinson can stay healthy, you would save an awful lot of money by doing that as opposed to having to pay Jawan Taylor $18 million with the franchise tag. And Jawan Taylor, at his age, four years in, I don't fault him at all. Go get as much money as you can on the open market. He is by far and away one of the best offensive tackles available in free agency, and someone is probably going to pay Jawan Taylor. That's okay. If we bring Evan Ingram back, and I have to say goodbye to Jawan Taylor, it'll sting. A little salt will be poured in the wound there, but I'll get over it. Because, again, I just closed my eyes and envisioned a three-wide receiver set with Kirk Jones and Ridley, with Evan Ingram and Travis Etienne. And I smile, and I think happy thoughts. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. If you want to get involved, Jacksonville, you are more than welcome to do so. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker, Ryan Green with you. We got a lot to do. We're with you till 10 o'clock tonight. Coming up next, let's talk a little draft. Let's talk a little Jaguar offseason. Kyle Lindeman, rotoballer.com. We'll talk NFL offseason, Jaguar offseason, and more next on a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Hard to believe we are only three weeks from NFL free agency in less time than that. The NFL scouting combine and we are about two months away from the NFL draft. The offseason is in full swing. With that, let's talk a little draft and a little offseason with Kyle Lindemann. You see him at rotoballer.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Kyle, how we doing, man? Hey, good morning. Doing great. Kyle, always appreciate the time. And, and look, from your perspective, I mean, the Super Bowl was just barely a week ago, but that, that NFL wheel never stops turning, man. We got the combine next week. We got free agency. I'm sure you've been 
into your draft prep for months now. It's really amazing every year how the NFL never leaves the conscience, even though games are still well over six months away from happening. Oh, yeah. I think uh, people really love the draft. And I think if you look at, you know, they're having the draft in different cities now, it just goes to show you kind of how popular it is. I, I actually enjoy the, the offseason more than the regular season because I'm pumping out so much content during the season, it kind of becomes a little bit of a grind. So I'm kind of – this is my favorite time because, like you said, everything going with free agency and can really kind of delve more into the scouting probably than I, w- than I would during the season. Kyle, for people that aren't familiar, I certainly know what it is, but for people that aren't familiar – do a little talk on rotoballer.com. What can people expect when they go there here in Jacksonville? So that's pretty much fantasy analysis. We, we cover just about every sport. Um, I, I kind of do a little bit of a hybrid. Like I do a lot of fantasy stuff during the season. In the offseason, kind of transition more to like NFL draft and scouting and reading reports and trying to get a buzz for, you know, who's going where. Um won't won't be at the combine this year. I got a three month old at home, so uh, typically they're like typically in Indianapolis. So, well, the scouting combine on the horizon will certainly be there for ten ten XL coming up next week. Kyle, I saw one of your tweets over the weekend, giving your thoughts on Anthony Richardson. He is one of the most polarizing figures in this draft class. Some guys love him. Some guys think that he might not even be a first-round pick. It's really all over the board. What's your opinion, a guy like you that's done this for a while, about Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida? Well, I think, uh, you know, the position's changing. So I think in some ways, you know, your traditional pocket pack coming off seat. I think, you know, so many teams now are playing uh, soft-shell covers with two high safeties. So, what most NFL defenses are saying is, hey, we'll give you four or five yards. We just don't want to give up the big play over the top. So what that's done, it's kind of made life a little bit easier for the mobile quarterbacks because you leave the middle, you leave the side open, these guys can take off for five yards at a time. The defense is just kind of banking on you getting a holding penalty or you know, variety of things. So I think the position's changing. I think offenses are becoming more aware you know, I do think Anthony Richardson's going to need to be in the right scheme. I think if he gets stuck with like a stubborn coach who is going to run just a pro style offense and make him a pocket passer, I, you know, it's, it's not his strengths. So I think teams need to tailor their offense around what he does well. Um, I do see him as a first rounder. I, uh, in terms of draft grading goes, I don't have him higher than Bryce Young or Stroud, but I've got him at number three. NFL really likes him, and I think. Like I was saying earlier, the perception around the league's changing. It's, you know, I think too many teams historically have always wanted a finished product, but I think you have to draft for ceiling and upside if you're going to go against the likes of, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence and all these quarterbacks in the AFC. Like playing it safe is not really going to get that done. So I think you got to draft for upside, and that that's probably what I like the most about him. Kyle Lindeman, rotoballer.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. And, Kyle, that was kind of the point of the tweet that you sent out earlier uh, this past weekend, which is something I appreciated. Look, 53% completion percentage. We know what Anthony Richardson looked like during the games, but then you also know what you saw against Tennessee, right? You know what you saw 
with your own eyes against Florida State. And that's, I guess, where you have to go if you're one of these GMs and these head coaches. You know, you look at the analytics, you look at the numbers, but then you also look at the raw talent. I guess it comes down to, do you believe there is more of that untapped raw talent than what we saw at the University of Florida? Yeah, and I and I, I do think there is. And obviously Florida has been a great program for a while. And, you know, unfortunately I know they've kind of been down in recent years. You had a new head coach, so that obviously changes things. I mean, he's, you know, he's got to learn a new system. So he didn't necessarily have the benefit of having the same coach, same system for three years. 2020 was also tough because of COVID. Um, so I think some team, you know, I've some people are like, oh, why doesn't he stay for his senior year? But, you know, looking at the 2024 class, Caleb, I mean, the hype for Caleb Williams is going to be insane. And the scouts really like this Drake May kid from North Carolina. So if he comes out next year, even if Richardson stays for his senior year, he's probably not going to be higher than the third QB off the board. So I think he actually has more to gain by, by leaving early um, because I do, I do wonder if Bryce Young's height's going to be an issue. I, I personally, I don't think it'll be an issue, but that's not necessarily how GMs may see it. So I think he's got a much higher chance of going first or second quarterback off the board this year than he would next year. Kyle, you mentioned Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Throw Will Levis in there. I think there's a good chance that at least one, probably two of those quarterbacks are going to find their way into the AFC South. Look, Houston needs a quarterback. They pick second. Indianapolis needs a quarterback. They pick fourth. A very good chance Jacksonville is going to see these guys uh, for the next decade in the division. Of course, Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, and uh, we'll see what Tennessee does. Uh, Will Ryan Tannehill return or not? But what's your opinion on a Bryce Young, on a C.J. Stroud, on a Will Levis as well? Well, I think Young is probably the most ready. I think he's ready to step in day one. He's so uh, sound mechanically. Um, He does a really good job of seeing the field and kind of like stepping up and finding the clear passing lane, even though he is obviously shorter. Um, He doesn't doesn't really get a whole lot of passes as bad as the line of scrimmage. So I – I like him. You know, his numbers kind of dipped a little bit in the last year because he lost John Mechie. He lost Jamison Williams. So I think he's good. I don't necessarily see him as a guy who's, who could carry a team kind of like Trevor Lawrence could. But I think he could do very well in the right system. Um, C.J. Stroud obviously played with some of the best wide receivers in the country, but his accuracy is is so good, and he's great at throwing the ball downfield. He's great uh, intermediate. And they came up short against Georgia, but I was really encouraged by how well he played under pressure. You know, he had Jalen Carter in his face pretty much all day, and he was, he was, you know, breaking tackles, getting us out of the pocket, completing passes. Um, I'm curious to see what he runs at the combine. I think he might be more in like the low four-six range. I, he can really make plays with his legs, um, so I do like him. But I'm kind of tempering my expectations for you know for year one. Will Levis is kind of the one that's all over the board. I mean, I have people that talk to that he's the quarterback one. Like, Mel Kuyper loves him. Um, but, you know, he's 6'3", 6'4", got a, got a big arm. That's typically the guy that Kuyper likes. I'm kind of torn because I do think he was playing hurt last year, but I didn't see enough production from him. I mean, he was throwing under 200 passing yards a season. A lot of his stats were kind of padded against the non-SEC teams. So that's not to say I don't like Will Levis, but I was kind of 
I just maybe discouraged isn't the right word, but he, he really only has one arm speed. He's kind of throwing everything a million miles an hour. In the NFL, you got to be able to adjust your speed, your trajectory, uh, depending on the play. So I'm hoping that, you know, things with him can be coached. Him, him I, I do have him as four. I do have him below Richardson. So obviously Houston's going to get a quarterback. Jim Irsay has, has been haunted since Andrew Luck retired. So I think it's a given they're going to get somebody. Uh, I like this, this Shane Steichen hire for them because he developed Justin Herbert his rookie year and obviously did great things with Hurts the last two years. Um, Tennessee is kind of the wild card because they got a new GM. Rabel's obviously still there. The roster's kind of old. They don't really have a lot of cap space. I, I would expect Tannehill to be back for one more year, but uh, I think the GM's probably going to want to get his own guy. I just don't know who that's going to be. Final moments here with Kyle Lindeman, rotoballer.com, with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Kyle, that brings us to the Jaguars. What a run they went on all the way to the divisional round of the playoffs. That was after starting the year four and eight. Uh, they won six games in a row, ultimately came up a little short there at Arrowhead against Kansas City. But your thoughts on the Jaguars, and, you know, we just mentioned the division. My goodness, I think everybody, when those preseason magazines come out, is going to pick Jacksonville to win the AFC South. That can be a good thing and a bad thing, right? A lot of expectations. Will they read their own press clippings? There's a lot that goes into that. But what is your thought on this organization here in Jacksonville moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously wheels up with Doug Peterson. I think it's important to maximize the time that you've got Trevor Lawrence on a rookie contract. Obviously, you know, two or three more seasons, he's going to be more expensive. So not that you want to take a short-term approach, but I think their approach should be the next two or three years. We want to push all our chips in while we got Trevor Lawrence on this rookie deal. I definitely think you'll be the favorites to win the South. I'm hoping, you know, Calvin Ridley is back. You know, that's a huge addition. Don't know if Evan Ingram will be back. I've been told they want to bring him back, but obviously for the right price. Zay Jones was a nice surprise. I do love Travis Etienne. Um, Trayvon Walker, you know, I think he kind of lived up to the hype last year. I was a little torn between him and Hutchinson. I kind of felt like Aiden Hutchinson was a little bit more of a finished product. But I think Walker shows some serious flashes. He's got some serious athleticism off the edge. So I do think things are looking good. I mean, I've, I've kind of seen a couple mocks where they've got Osiris, Osiris Torrance mocked to the Jaguars at 25. I think you could go a multitude of ways. I'd probably rule out, you know, running back, receiver. Maybe they, maybe they could get Michael Mayer from Notre Dame if he's there. I, I do like three or four of these tight ends. But I think, you know, they've got flexibility. They can kind of just take best player available. You know, to that point, as we say goodbye, Kyle, you look at the overall draft class, right? Um, give me one or two positions of strength in the 2023 draft class. And then likewise, one or two positions that are maybe lacking this year compared to years past. I would say, I think what makes this class tough is I do. I probably don't see this as much of like a star studded class, maybe as like 2021 was, I think this is a very deep draft. you got a lot of quality players available, even in the rounds two. Um, I would say there's, there's, there's probably maybe four or five tackles that are going to go in the first round. I would say that's a pretty deep position, but like, like I said, it's not, you know, there's not like an Orlando pace in this draft. There's a lot of cornerbacks, you know, Kaylee Ringo from Georgia, 
he could probably could go in the middle of the first or he could go in the middle of the second. So tackle and corner are probably pretty, pretty deep. I'd say running back as well. Um, I don't really see like a high impact playmaking safety in this draft. So would be kind of surprised if we, if we do see a safety or more than one safety go in round one. Um, I would say, yeah, probably safety. And there's, there's some edge guys that people like. Yeah, I would say probably linebacker. And I don't know if that's maybe because front offices and analytics have kind of devalued the linebacker position compared to years past because, you know, think about it. You got your third cornerback is playing more than your third uh, linebacker is now. So, yeah, I, I'd probably go linebacker safety. And you're going to look with what the Jaguars did last year with Chad Muma and Devin Lloyd. You wouldn't think linebacker would be high on their list. You know, you mentioned Calvin Ridley, Kyle. we got 30 seconds left. Quickly, because you do the fantasy thing as well, and I'm a big fantasy football player. I mean, Trevor was dynamic after Thanksgiving with Kirk and Zay Jones. You add Calvin Ridley to that. I mean, this Jaguar offense, Kyle, could be – they could be something in 2023. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's obviously wheels up for Lawrence. Um, should be good for ETN as well. I'd like to see ETN kind of be a little bit more involved as a pass catcher. As far as fantasy goes, I think that's hard because if Ingram's back – Ridley, Zay Jones. I mean, that's a lot of mouths to feed. So Ridley could kind of take away from those guys, but those guys could kind of take away from Ridley too. So I'm definitely in. I'd be just curious to see where his ADP winds up in September. I think that'll decide it for me. Yeah, that's the uh, fantasy uh, outlook for people that don't play fantasy. The good thing about Jacksonville, one week it could be Ridley, the next week it could be Kirk, the next week it could be Zay Jones, the next week it could be ETN. The next week it could be Evan Ingram if he gets re-signed, which would make a nightmare for opposing defensive coordinators to have to plan for that offense. Kyle Lindeman, rotoballer.com. We encourage everybody here in Jacksonville to go check out the good folks at rotoballer.com. Kyle, enjoyed the conversation, man. Let's do it again in a couple of months. Thank you as always. Yep, thanks for having me. Always appreciate Kyle Lindeman joining us here tonight on Hacker After Dark. And that's the one thing too, right? People say – well, the Jaguars aren't going to make a splash in free agency. And yeah, that's probably true. Certainly, it's not going to be what it was last year. I remember sitting out at the players last year, and it was every hour, right? It was Brandon Scherf, then it was Foyer Aluikun, and then it was Christian Kirk, and then it was Evan Ingram. I mean, it was insane on day one. That will not happen this year. But the one thing to remember, they already have their prized free agent. His name is Calvin Ridley. And assuming he gets reinstated, which, again, everybody that I've talked to says there's no reason why he should not get reinstated, probably before the Jaguars even report back for April 17th offseason conditioning, that's your free agent hall right there. You brought in a guy whose last full year in the NFL caught 90 passes for 1,300 yards. That's it. And if he's 80%, Of the player he was in 2020, the Jaguars have a heck of a wide receiver to pair with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. 641-1010 on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. I love pro football focus. I am a numbers guy. I'm an analytics guy. I think they do a great job. 99% of the time. They are releasing their top 100 players of 2022 
I did an absolute double take where they had Trevor Lawrence. It was embarrassing. It's next on Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Tuesday night, Jacksonville, Florida. Glad you're with us. We're in for Rick Ballou the rest of the week. Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. So, pro football focus. I'm a PFF guy. I did not used to be. But they have grown on me, right? I've accepted change into my life when it comes to analytics. And I actually thoroughly enjoy PFF. I have a lot of PFF guys on. In fact, Steve Palazzolo, their main guy that covers the National Football League, will be joining us tomorrow night on Hacker After Dark. So I am certainly a PFF.com fan. But every once in a while, even though you're a fan, you can certainly critique something that they do. So they, like every other website, they're just doing it a little earlier than most, are ranking the top 100 players from the 2022 season. And they're releasing 25 guys a day. Yesterday, they went from 100 to 76. Today, 75 to 51. And then obviously tomorrow, 50 to 26, I guess. And then 25 to 1, I'm assuming, on Thursday. The issue with the list that I have is that Trevor Lawrence has already been revealed. Trevor Lawrence came in as the 94th ranked player according to Pro Football Focus for the year 2022. 94th? Here's what they say. After the disaster that was Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, Lawrence first turned the corner in year two and then went on to play as well as any quarterback in the league by the end of it. From week nine onward, only Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes earned better PFF grades. I don't like the fact that he's 94th, but all right. He did struggle a little bit, certainly in September and October. And they admit from week nine onward, other than Mahomes and Burrow, he may have been the best quarterback in the league. I don't like it, but I'm willing to accept it. Until today, when they release numbers 75 to 51, and they have Geno Smith at number 71. Geno Smith is 23 spots higher on this list than Trevor Lawrence. Nope. I don't care what the decimal points say. Don't care how you're uh, explaining it. That is just simply not accurate. What they say about Geno Smith, for those of you that are interested at least, before the season it was almost impossible to foresee the kind of year Geno Smith would have at quarterback for the Seahawks. Only the Bills' Josh Allen posted more big-time throws than Smith's 34, with the veteran showing that he can do much more than act as a bridge quarterback. There is not a planet in this atmosphere, there is not a continent or country on this planet, and there is not a city or a town in any one of those countries that Geno Smith is a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. That's just not not accurate. And for pro football focus to have Geno Smith not just better than Trevor, 
but 23 spots higher on their top 100 than Trevor Lawrence ruffled my feathers a little bit. Got my dander up a little bit. So we'll obviously do this more as the offseason progresses, but this is a very simple exercise. You take every starting quarterback in the National Football League right now, every one of them, you march them into the 1010XL studios, and you do a schoolyard pick them, the best ones. Denmark, how many quarterbacks or which quarterbacks are you taking before you select Trevor Lawrence? At most five. Uh, five. You, want to, you want me to list them right now? I, I do. Yeah, I'd love to okay, hear those. I'll say if if I had to, I would say for sure Joe Burrow. Okay. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. You take Josh Allen over Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, right Interesting. Now. Okay. Um, and then and then you're splitting hairs between him and Herbert. Uh, I saw Lawrence beat him twice this year, yeah, head to head. But I mean, Herbert uh, doesn't have really good. He doesn't have as good of a coach as Doug Peterson does, as Trevor Lawrence does. Yeah, Herbert also has Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike yep. Williams, Gerald Everett. Yeah, I agree. But, Got a lot of I mean, talent. You're, you're splitting hairs between the two, and then. Uh, well, who would you take though, Herbert or Lawrence? If you had to choose one, probably Lawrence. Okay, by barely. And I mean, that, like, if I had one, I wouldn't be mad that I didn't have the other. That's kind of the point. Look, I, look, Mahomes, I'm taking over Trevor. I'm not being naive here. I'm not drinking the complete teal and black Kool-Aid of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I might have teal and black goggles on to an extent, but I'm not naive or crazy either. Patrick Mahomes, I would take over Trevor Lawrence. Joe Burrow, yeah. Yeah, I probably would take him over Trevor Lawrence. I think there's a little bit of a conversation there, but I'll give you but Burrow. After that, I don't know if I'm taking anybody. Josh Allen, people like to think that Josh Allen was good. He was good in 2021. Did you see him at the end of last year? He wasn't very good. Go look at Josh Allen November, December, and in the playoffs for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I'm not going to go as far as to call him bad, but he wasn't the Josh Allen of 2021. It got to the point where his star wide receiver wouldn't even talk to him on the sideline in that playoff game. Josh Allen was miserable against Cincinnati in that playoff game. Miserable. You're telling me right now, moving forward, who do I want? Trevor Lawrence or Josh Allen? Based on what I saw in the last month, two months of the year? I don't think it's crazy at all to say Trevor Lawrence. Justin Herbert? Good, good player. They're about to have to cut Keenan Allen. I'm going to be very interested to see what happens there. They got a new offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore. I like that. Herbert was hurt. Yeah, that's fine and well. Lawrence beat him twice head to head. He crushed him in L.A. And he brought the Jaguars back from 27 down. Herbert did nothing in the second half. Lawrence scored every time he had the ball. So I'm not taking Herbert over Lawrence either. Lamar Jackson, no. Deshaun Watson, no. I mean, you look in the AFC, right? Tua, too many injury problems. And even if he were healthy, I'd probably take Lawrence. Is there a quarterback in the NFC you would take right now over Trevor? I mean, think about it. Would you take Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott? 
only one is Jalen Hurts, and that's that's the only question. That's yeah, that I that and that's a that's a good question. And you know what? You're right about that. You're right about that. Two completely different players, but it's hard to argue with Jalen Hurts. He did go out there and put four touchdowns on the board in the Super Bowl. I'm telling you right now, if given that I don't care what happened ten years ago, I'm talking about 2023. Aaron Rodgers or Trevor Lawrence, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. This is not a career achievement award list. This is quarterbacks you want moving forward. And I absolutely would want Trevor Lawrence moving forward than Aaron Rodgers. And I just thought it was interesting for Pro Football Focus, again, a website I love, to have Geno Smith 23 spots higher. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. I would ask anybody at Pro Football Focus, whoever put that list together, you can have Geno Smith or Trevor Lawrence to quarterback your football team. Who do you want? I think that answer is pretty easy. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line. As always, Jacksonville, we're streaming on YouTube and on Twitter. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there till 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise on Twitter. At 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there streaming live until 10 o'clock this evening. Coming up next, a couple of cool stories on the high school gridiron. The Jaguar prep coach of the year and a guy who was awarded with two Super Bowl tickets. He's fresh back from his trip to Arizona. We'll talk about that experience with Rob Shields, the head coach of Baldwin, and also Brian Allen, former Florida State Seminole linebacker former head coach at Lake City, Columbia. Not anymore. He's the head coach once again at Lake City, Columbia. Effective last night. Why did he step down two years ago? Why did he decide to come back? It's a pretty interesting conversation. It's next on Hacker After Dark. No. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Well, some guys have had pretty good years, and then some guys have had the year that my next guest had. In the span of 12 months, they defeated Baker County for the first time in decades. They won their first district championship. He was named Jacksonville Jaguar Prep Coach of the Year, and he was given two tickets to the Super Bowl. That is not a bad way for 2022 and the beginning of 2023. Let's go talk to Baldwin head, head football coach Rob Shields. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, how we doing? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me. Coach, always appreciate the time. I haven't really talked to you since you were named the Jaguar Prep High School Coach of the Year, and you got those two Super Bowl tickets. I did see the photo, you and your brother went out there to enjoy the Super Bowl. What was that experience like? Take us through it. Oh, when I got named, you know, it's obviously a huge honor. Uh, just, a, you know, an honor to be nominated, let alone win. And so they're like, yeah, come by the stadium for, you know, a couple pitches, do some media. Like, all right. And then next thing you know, they're like, oh, by the way, you're going to the Super Bowl. So they, uh, they definitely shot me with that one. That's unreal. That's unreal. And the fact that you were able to go with your brother, I'm assuming that's the first Super Bowl you have been to for those that have never been to a Super Bowl, which I'm assuming is a vast majority of people listening right now. Just take us into the tailgating, the game day atmosphere. What's it like to sit in that stadium during the Super Bowl? Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, they opened the gates at uh, 12:30, so we got there about one. 
and you know the security was pretty tight but once you got in they had live concerts everywhere and people were tailgating but uh my brother and i ended up going to our seats probably three hours before kickoff when the place pretty much was empty to ourselves which was cool and you know football coaches both of us are we're sitting there watching the warm-ups watching the guys do their stretches and uh you know it slowly filled up it was a it's a, it a great experience and you saw a great game i mean never mind the experience which was the biggest part but the fact that you got to see Mahomes do his thing, Jalen Hurts do his thing, a little bit of controversy at the end. I mean, you couldn't have asked to be at a much better game. Oh, it was definitely a great game. Uh, Eagles fans were definitely uh, having a good time up until the end. And, uh, you know, I was expecting like a corporate game, but the Eagles fans were rowdy. There were definitely more Eagles fans than Chiefs fans. And uh, it was just fun to watch a good game where, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Jaguars fan, so – it's nice to watch a game where I could just enjoy it and not uh, have to worry about pulling for somebody winning or losing. Rob Shields, the head coach of Baldwin High School, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Coach, you alluded to this earlier, but expand on it if you would. A lot of great coaches last football season, a lot of great seasons, a lot of deep playoff runs, and you were voted the best by the Jaguars. I mean, what an honor. Uh, what did that mean to you? Oh, I mean, it's uh, just a tremendous honor, you know, all the coaches, we have put in a ton of work. You know, football is year-round now. There's no really off-season. Uh, you know, I'm just thankful for my assistant coaches that helped me do it because it's not a one-man job. It's, a, you know, it's an all-team job. And, you know, if you don't have a good coaching staff and good players and everybody's not pulling the same direction, I mean, you're not going to be successful. So I'm just thankful to everybody I work with and all the kids that played for me. You know, you mentioned it's a year-round job, and certainly it is. I think more people – are beginning to understand that. But kind of take us through it, the life of a high school football coach. Your season ended in the postseason uh, right around Thanksgiving, if memory serves. So we're almost three months into your off season, and I would have to imagine that preparations are well underway, not only for spring ball, but for summer conditioning as well. Yeah, so, you know, season is done in November. December is basically your month off. You know, we get back to school in January. We've got our weight training classes, so the kids are working out in school. And then after school, it's track season. And so the guys that don't play baseball or basketball, they start working out. And then, you know, as basketball season ends, we get more guys for track. So, you know, basically track is football. And so we're working out. We're running every day. And May 1st is uh, when spring ball starts. And then you hit the summertime and uh, get back to it. You know, again, final moments with Rob Shields, the head coach of Baldwin High School here with us on 1010XL. A lot of coaching turnover. I mean, I think you go back three years now, the number is, I think, 35-plus brand-new head coaches in the area, either guys retiring, guys just getting out of the profession, guys moving on to other jobs. I mean, as a high school football coach, like you said, it has become a year-round uh, responsibility. People love it, certainly, but – can you speak to the amount of turnover in the area, Coach? I mean, three dozen different head coaches in the last three years. That seems like an awful lot. It is, but then again, you look at the amount of time and the all the things demanded of you. And, for example, I work in Duval County. And so if you coach any sport in Duval County, I think it's been 37 years since there's been an increase in the coach, you know, pay for coaches. So, And you can go to, like, say, Georgia, and you're going to make six figures in some jobs. So. I think the uh, head coaching is just like at 4,000 for Duval County. And if you, you know, break down the time and effort spent, you're, you're not making much an hour. It's well below minimum wage. 
So, I mean, it's a lot of stress, a lot of responsibility. And so if you don't really love it, I mean, there's so many other ways you can make money a lot easier. I promise you. Not to put you on the spot, but you kind of piqued my interest with that. Is there a thought in the coaching community, whether yourself, your peers, obviously your brother was a, was a head coach at one point, the conversation in the coaching community here in the state of Florida and, and Duval County in particular as to why there hasn't been, you know, maybe pay increases like there have been in other places? I mean, I'm not sure. I guess it's collectively bargaining and most of the people doing the bargaining aren't coaches. And so, uh, you know, we're kind of out of sight and out of mind as far as that goes, but, uh, you know, it'd be nice just to, you know, give all the guys coaching all the sports a raise because the amount of time you spend with people's kids and the time you're missing from your family and your kids, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It was a great year last year for yourself, your staff, and that Baldwin football program. Coach, it's very early. Like you said, we're still two months away from spring ball starting. But what's the outlook for 2023? How many guys do you have coming back? I know you played a lot of freshmen last year. They got a lot of key playing time. Uh, we've graduated nine seniors. Um, you know, the biggest thing is going to be Jalen Hitch was a quarterback graduated. He threw for a thousand yards. He ran for a thousand yards and, uh, you know, he led us on offense. And so, you know, got to find the guy that's going to be the trigger, man. I think we got a good young one that has a chance and we got a couple other guys. So, you know, spring should be fun it's about who's going to step up and, uh, take the lead on offense and, defensively, you know, got a lot of young guys coming back. So we should be pretty good. It's, you know, it all comes down to quarterback. So we'll see. From that big rivalry win over Baker County in the regular season to a district championship to the Jaguar prep coach of the year all the way to the Super Bowl, it's been good to be Rob Shields out at Baldwin. Coach, hope you enjoyed it all. Uh, best of luck going into spring ball, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good, Hacker. You have a good one. The high school spotlight rolls on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We're glad you're with us in the city of Jacksonville. Let's head a little west down I-10 to Columbia County, Lake City, Columbia. Who says you can't go home again? And welcome back as the head coach of Lake City, Columbia, Brian Allen. Coach, congratulations. Hey, Ryan, I appreciate it, man. Feel good to be back. Coach, uh, take us through it. You stepped aside a couple of years ago. I... I saw an article last night that said you really missed it. You missed the camaraderie and, and just being there with the guys, teaching these young men the game of football. And lo and behold, the job opens up, and you're right back in that head coaching position. Yeah, I, I guess it kind of boils down to that. It, it sounds simple, but uh, <laughs> it was a little bit more of a process. But, again, never even, never even had a clue that, that the opportunity would present itself um I, this this soon but uh when it did you know it took me a while before i even you know, decided that, that that was gonna apply i know this past year was was tough i can whatever reason year two was was was, was a lot more tough being away from it than than it, than it was year one Ryan, to be honest i've never done it anywhere else i, I was an assistant in orlando before i moved back home but as far as being the head guy, I've never, never done it anywhere else. Never, never planned to do it anywhere else. So, you know, I just, I think it, it was a reason uh, 
why it presented itself and and I think the time was now or never. And when I say a, a reason, you know, all those are for things, seeing things happen and take place and they work out the way they're supposed to. I just feel like it was, it was this time. And, uh, again, applied, went through the whole process, man. And, uh, at the end of the day was chosen to come back and do it again. So, uh, I feel good about it and I'm ready to get in front of my guys here soon, man. Brian Allen, the new head coach at Lake City, Columbia. You know, it's interesting, Coach, and you know this, being in the coaching profession as long as you have. Guys will talk about the grind. Sometimes the grind gets too much for them, and they'll step aside because of that. You appear to be the exact opposite. You seem, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you kind of missed the grind and wanted that back in your life. Yeah, and you know, it's it's tough. One one thing, and there's, there's, there's several good coaches. I mean, it's, it's actually – kind of mind-blowing in this time that I've been away that some of the guys that I've built relationships with that, you know, I, I can call friends um, in this in this field that I look back now and I'm seeing different articles of the different changes and guys that have, have, have walked away here in the past uh, couple years. And, you know, I didn't even know some of them had done it. But but it's definitely a grind, um, you know, but I think it's, it's kind of difficult when all you really have known for the majority of your life, you know, I started doing this thing at five uh, with, with, the, with the boys club and, and the rec leagues and, you know, right on through it. And I wasn't one of the guys that it ended for right after high school when, when I had a chance to do it and have a lot of success in college and then got a chance to be, to be drafted. So, you know, for the majority of my life, uh, football has been a part of it. So when you, when you step, I guess, away from that arena, again, uh, the initial move is, is I think a little bit easier, but as it, as time lingers on, uh, you definitely long for it. And uh, I form these relationships with, with my coaches, staff, and, and and my players. And you know, it just was went to I went to the first game uh, last year at Buholtz with with uh, the team when they played over there. And it's just I I knew right then some kind of way. Uh, I'm hoping I can get back into this thing just because that feeling of being back there, the feeling of seeing my guys, just the look in their eye, eyes when, when they when they knew I was there. Like, that, that meant a whole lot. So, again, uh, yeah, I'm just glad it all worked out. Brian Allen, former Florida State Seminole, once again the head coach at Lake City, Columbia. Coach, not to put words in your mouth, but you came back to Columbia. If Columbia had not necessarily – been open were you looking to get back in the head coaching game or because it was lake city columbia it made it that much easier it absolutely made it that much easier i, I can assure you i, I wasn't going to be applying uh, to, to anywhere else i uh born and raised here gonna die here man i don't i don't ever want to leave here you know it, it took a long journey to finally get back home uh 12 years ago and i have no plans or desire to leave this place so uh you know i think it it made it that much easier that it was home again that was open you want to talk about a guy that bleeds lake city columbia we're talking to him right now brian allen was once the head coach of lake city columbia he now is again the brand new head coach at lake city columbia coach have you talked with your upperclassmen it's probably going to be a little odd for them the the juniors and seniors that you had i guess is what freshmen and maybe eighth graders and now you're back as their head coach. That's certainly going to be an interesting dynamic. Yeah, it is, and and that that, that 
just again, Ron kind of shows you how how, how close uh, in the relationships that I deal with those guys, man. It was it was several of them that all year long uh, we talked. You know, um, even even some throughout the recruiting process. You know, coach, I heard you put a good word in for me that you spoke up for me. Someone reached out and and just that's the that's the reason those kids run through a wall for me, man. Is uh, number one, they they believe I care and I and I do. And, you know, I made sure that that was there without respectfully stepping on the, 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 the at the time, the current head coaches told that that was another big reason I had to to not be there um, and, and not show up, um, especially this past year, because uh, when they see me there, I, it's, I, I, I could see, you know, how frustrating it could be with just. You're, you're leading the team and, and their former coach comes up and it's like they gravitate, man. So I, I made sure respectfully I, I, I stayed away. And uh, but but definitely the phone calls and the conversations that all stay consistent throughout this this two year absence. And uh, I'll, I'll have a chance. I'm not, I'm not going to begin until I think a little bit after the middle of March is when I'll be back in the school full time. Um, but but I'm gonna start showing up some in the afternoons. You know we have weightlifting going on right now. I don't kind of I don't even know where that stuff is yet. But plan on getting in there probably as soon as the day, and you know kind of seeing where the guys are and start to. I haven't even looked at my schedule yet. I don't even know what what that is. So you know it's things just crazy how fast this our our, our news flies. I guess in the era that we're in right now, it, it is easy that. Uh, Something takes place, and it's, it's everywhere uh, within 24 hours. But I've I've had some former colleagues reach out and, you know, just congratulatory conversations. And, and then I've had others saying, do you have week five open? Do you have, <laughs> you have that week open? So, you know, it's it's exciting from, from that standpoint, man, that that is a part of this football camaraderie, you know, and you, you do it as a player, and it have that same type of camaraderie. And for those that, that, that build respect because they do it the right way, you know, your colleagues are happy to see you back. So, uh, you know, we're fixing to hit the ground rolling. I, I've always we we spoken before. I I don't have a three or four month year program. I have an eleven out of the twelve month year program. So right now I'm two months behind already. So I got to jump in here and get these assistants in here and and get this thing rolling again. Coach, as we begin to wrap up, you have had two years to think about it. How much are you gonna? Maybe switch up from what you were doing beforehand to what you're going to do now. Well, you know the the hard part when when it comes to just to, to, to saying switch up, especially especially offensively. You know, I'm uh, I made that step years ago. The defensive guy moving into the offensive seat that uh, we're going to be up tempo and fastball like 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 we were. Uh, kind of hard when you had two guys in your in your school break break each other's records and, and about a four year span apart with, with Davin Shuck and, and Jordan Smith that those guys threw for over thirty six hundred yards and forty touchdowns in a couple of seasons. So, you know, we have a formula that works offensively and we've always been it seems like no matter who who it's been, a fly around fast defense that uh that plays tenacious football. So we're gonna get right back into the scheme of that and, and add some new wrinkles to the puzzle uh, with, with guys and got a couple guys that 
former players that that uh, kind of aren't doing anything right now and, and, and love ball and have a ton of knowledge that they've learned in, in the most recent years. So there's going to be a couple guys that, that I think I'm going to be able to get in there with us. going to have some guys that have been with me uh, that's going to be back in there too. So, um, again, man, just excited about – about what's at hand, you know, there's a lot that's changed and, 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 and I wasn't there when the changes took place, you know, with this, this rural and Metro uh, deal. Now I gotta, I gotta get in here and dive into to knowing more about that. Cause Ryan, I'm telling you, man, when I, when I walked away, I, again, I listen to us every Friday night on the radio, but, but I, there's, there's things I gotta get in there. Like I said, jump in head first and, and see what's new, see what's going on and, uh, again, more than anything, just just get in front of my guys, man, and and, uh, and and let them know how excited I am to be back in front of them. Well, we certainly missed you, Coach, under the Friday Night Lights. We're thrilled that you're back. We'll be talking in no time. Brian Allen, once the head coach at Lake City, Columbia, now again the head coach at Lake City, Columbia. Coach, congratulations, my friend. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, Ryan. Good chopping it up with you. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. I'll tell you, Denmark, you know what good marketing is? I don't know who sings this song. I'm sure you do because you're an encyclopedia when it comes to that. But every time I hear this song, I think of that beer commercial. This is the the beer commercial song. That's all I know it is. Yeah. Jay-Z. Ah, Jay-Z. I actually have heard of him. Blueprint 2. Very good. Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, when you recognize a song based on the brand that the commercial is on, somebody is doing something right there in the advertising department. Thank you to Rob Shields of Baldwin. Denmark, you obviously know him. You work with him. That was a cool story, him and his brother getting to go out to the Super Bowl as a reward for being named the Jaguars prep coaches of the year, prep coach of the year. Yeah, it was uh it was it was cool. He uh he told me a lot of stories Monday when he came or Tuesday actually when he came back the you wouldn't believe it, Hack. The uh, the flight situation wasn't the best, but uh, he had fun, and uh, it was good. Yeah. No, look, I mean, anytime you, you get rewarded like that and then you get Super Bowl tickets to boot, that was very cool. And then Brian Allen, I mean, you want to talk about a guy that bleeds, what is that, purple and gold, I guess, over there at Lake City, Columbia, stepped aside two years ago, said last year that he just missed it unbelievably bad. The job happens to open up, and bam, right back in as the new head coach of his alma mater. A very, very cool story for Brian Allen to return there to Lake City, Columbia. Coming up next, Matt Hayes. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also read him at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Let's talk Mike Norvell's contract extension in Tallahassee. Let's talk Todd Munkin leaving Georgia to go to the NFL, to the Baltimore Ravens, what that means for the dogs. Mike Bobo, the former Georgia quarterback, now as the offensive coordinator there in Athens. What is going on in Gainesville uh, at the quarterback position after the Jaden Rashada situation? And $100 million buys you a lot of things. In the SEC's case, it bought them Oklahoma and Texas a year early. They are scheduled to now come into the conference in 2024. What does that mean for scheduling for the SEC now with 16 teams getting ready to play football next September? With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. It is a Tuesday night edition 
of Hacker After Dark, and we're glad you're with us right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. There is a ton going on in the world of college football. The news cycle never stops, including a lot of stuff going on here locally with both Florida State, Georgia, even a little bit of Florida as well. For the very latest, Matt Hayes, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also read his terrific work over at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Matt, it's been a little while, man. How are you? Doing great, Hack. How are you, my man? Matt, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And since the last time you and I spoke, a lot's gone on. Let's begin in Tallahassee. Boy, who would have ever thought, six months ago even, a brand-new contract extension for Mike Norvell, now signed through the 2029 season. Boy, what a turnaround job there for Norvell in Tallahassee. He, It's phenomenal. It, you know, he walked, walked into a very difficult situation, you know, where one guy, where the original guy just gave up and left, and then the next guy tried to fix it and didn't do a good job of trying to fix it on the field, fixed it off the field. Then gets into then he walks into that situation, Norvell, and you know he's bereft of talent, and he walks into the COVID situation, and it's just been an uphill slog for him ever since. And what a great ten win season last year! Um, you know you can I've heard people complain about it over and over about what you know, look at the ten wins. It's not like they beat anybody. I don't care. It's still ten wins. It's still proving that he can get to that level, and more more than anything, it's proven to recruits that he can get to that level. And I mean high school recruits and transfer portal recruits. So I think he clearly deserved it. Um, the only question I would have as far as Mike Novell is, you know, he's done this with a majority of the transfer portal guys. Now, the question then becomes, is it sustainable? Can he continue to hit? He's hit basically three straight years in the portal. So, and it looks like he's hitting this year, which means the third. Um, the only question is, can, can he sustain it? What, what happens if he hits a year where it doesn't hit? And, and then you've got to rely on high school guys. And as far as high school recruiting, he's still trying to play catch-up. He is. I mean, look, he's in the top 20 for the high school guys. But like you said, he's consistently in the top five in the transfer portal. That guy has mastered the art of the transfer portal. And now here in 2023, Matt, the ACC does their thing where they're getting rid of the divisions. So Florida State doesn't necessarily have to beat Clemson at Clemson to make the ACC championship game, I would think that's a lot better scenario for them. I think that Clemson-Florida State game, we might see twice this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, Hack. Every time we say that, and, and believe me, I'm guilty of it too, it, you know, there's always something else that happens, something something crazy or something weird that happens. Um, but, yeah, looking at it right now, I mean, honestly, I, I think what Clemson did, and I wrote about this uh, today, actually, at Saturday Road. You can go, go read it. You know, what Clemson did this offseason, they, they had the biggest addition of all this offseason. It had nothing to do with the player. It's, it's Garrett Riley, the, the OC and quarterbacks coach from TCU. He will completely change Kate Klubnick. They will be a different team offensively. They will score. They will go up and down the field. They will have tempo. It'll be a lot like they had um, prior with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Um, I don't think Klubnick's at that level as far as talent with those two quarterbacks, but he's a very good player. Um, and they'll be different. They'll be a lot different. So, Clemson, I think, is going to be very good this year. Florida State just got to be in a situation is can they eventually compete with Clemson on the lines of scrimmage? That's the question. Can they get up there and block that defensive front four and front seven that Clemson you know, has every single year that gets after you? And I think that's where Florida State is with Clemson. 
I don't know that they're there yet. And typically you get there, and this goes back to high school recruiting hack. Typically you get there with elite guys that you develop through high school. That's how Clemson's gotten there. That's how Georgia gets there. That's how Alabama gets there and Ohio State. Um, the teams that are consistently among the elite draft elite high school D linemen and, and develop them. And I don't think, well, clearly Florida State's not there. Jared versus a terrific player. He's a the guy they got from the portal. But you've got to get those interior guys. You've got to get those edge guys. You've got to get those linebackers off the edge. And Florida State doesn't have that. And, and offensive line-wise, they've got to be able to protect. And, you know, we'll see if they can do it this year. You can listen to Matt Hayes every day here on 1010XL on XL Primetime. You also read his work on SaturdayDownSouth.com. Matt, the Georgia Bulldogs, some news uh, earlier this week. Todd Munkin leaving, going back to the NFL to take over the offensive call duties with the Baltimore Ravens. What does that mean for Georgia? And Mike Bobo now back as the OC. What does that mean for Kirby Smart and the dogs moving forward? So, Hack, I don't understand the angst. If I were to tell you that the guy you had was going to be your quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator and play caller, developed and produced the four, the four before Stetson Bennett, the four greatest quarterbacks in school history, why would anybody be concerned about that guy coming back and being your offense coordinator, play caller, quarterbacks coach? Because that's what Mike Bubba did with DJ Shockley, with Derek, with David Green, with Matthew Stafford, and with Aaron Murray. And the Georgia offense was phenomenal in those years. It wasn't the offense that was the problem with Georgia all those years. You know, George, there's, there's been two teams in the history of Georgia football that averaged more than 40 points a game. This past Georgia season and Bobo's, I think, 2012 season. And that, that team averaged more than this, this year's team, team average. So they will score points with Bobo. He will develop quarterbacks. Carson Beck will have a giant year with them. I don't understand the angst. I get it. It's, you know, the, the whole line is Bobo's hiring his best friend. He's also hiring a hell of an offensive coordinator, too, a guy that has a track record. So I, I think they'll be fine. Well, and you look at it, too. And look, Georgia is the king of college football. Far be it for me to say anything negative about them but I am going to criticize one thing is it their fault no because I think Oklahoma was originally on this schedule and they came off because obviously Oklahoma is joining the SEC next year now uh, which we'll get to in a moment but Matt this Georgia schedule in 2023 brother it's, okay. a, it's a joke I mean they'll be a 20 point favorite probably in nine of their 12 games but I will say this it's absolutely cake okay absolutely if something weird happens and they lose an SEC game that's going to prevent them from getting to the SEC championship game, that's going to be a problem for them. That non-conference schedule will be a big problem. So, I mean, it's – now, look, you and I doubt that's going to happen, right? I mean, I doubt that South Carolina is going to be 6-1 and one in the East and, and they're only lost to someone else, but they beat Georgia, right? That's Or Florida the same way. So, But it could, it could affect their seeding in the playoff. Yeah, absolutely. It could make them – if they win the SEC um, – it could make them a four seed, or if they lose the SEC championship game, let's say this hack, they're unbeaten and they lose the SEC championship game. And there's three other unbeatens, uh, you know, on the table. And there's one other one loss. Who's got a better record than them, a, a better schedule. I should say, I mean, what do you do at that point? Do you, do you take the team that lost the SEC championship game and has a terrible non-conference schedule that at some point could affect them if they get to the, a situation in the postseason where they're being matched against someone as far as resume. Now, again, do we think that's going to happen? It's doubtful, but who knows? 
Matt, final Georgia question is: I mean, it's Carson Beck, right? And 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 the folks you talk yeah. to up in Athens are they confident yeah. with him? Yeah, they're very confident. I, I I mean, heck, he was the he was the top backup in 2021 when JT Daniels started the year. Remember, it was JT Daniels, and he had the uh, I guess it was the raising. Oh, Zaxby's, that's what it was. He had the Zaxby's NIL, one of the first NIL deals, and he was the Heisman Trophy leading Heisman Trophy candidate. He gets hurt, you know. First, before the first game against Clemson, he has that, you know, core injury. Then he gets hurt again against against Vandy, I think it was. And instead of putting Connor Beck, in the, uh, uh, Beck into the game, Carson Beck, that staff thought, okay, wait a second. We're safe with Stetson Bennett. We know what we have because he played the previous year. Let's put him in, and we'll see where we go there. And then Stetson took off. So Beck was the number two. He was the number two that season. Um, and they just felt safer with Stetson Bennett. And then Stetson took the advantage, seized the opportunity, and, you know, the rest is Georgia history. It's a nice moment, too, for a local kid. Mr. Football here, led Mandarin to a state title. A lot of guys would have transferred. In fact, I would think 99% oh, yeah. of guys would have transferred. Beck did not, and now he finally looks like he's going to get his opportunity. A couple of more for Matt Hayes. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You read him on Saturday Down South. Dot com. Matt, $100 million, that is a lot of money, and that is what it took to get George or to get, I'm sorry, Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC a year early. Why was that such a big deal? Why did the SEC want that to happen? Well, I mean, as much as anything, Hack, because they didn't want to start the new playoff season, which is with 12 teams and the new 12-team playoff in 2024, without their full complement. And they weren't going to agree to the playoff the new 12-team playoff. And again, you got to remember, everybody, ha all 10 conferences and Notre Dame have to agree on changing the format of the playoff for it to change during this contract, okay? And if any one of the 11 said no, they couldn't change it. So while this wasn't public, I can assure you that the SEC made it very clear to the Big 12, which desperately needed the 12-team playoff. We're not agreeing to the 12-team playoff unless Texas and Oklahoma are part of the SEC in 2024. You can do it however you want to do it. You can play it however you want to play it. You can say publicly, we let them go. We're not agreeing to this playoff until that happens. So that's why it happened in 2024. The SEC is not going to start that playoff, that 12-team playoff uh, new format without a full complement. And as much as anything, they're also not going to allow the, the Big Ten to have that 16-team full complement with USC and UCLA, who will arrive in 2024 and them not have their full 16 team. We're just over 18 months before Oklahoma and Texas will actually play a game in the SEC, but the schedule traditionally comes out October the previous year, which means the SEC has roughly eight months, right, to figure out schedule. What are you hearing, Matt? Nine-game conference schedule? Are they getting rid of divisions? Are we going back to talking about the pods? I mean, that's going to become a reality pretty soon. What's the SEC going to do there? So they had their coaches' meetings last week in Birmingham, their annual winter ones. They're, they've, heck, they've been talking about this and doing these models for a long time, since, the, since Texas and Oklahoma arrived, uh, officially arrived, not, not in the league, but officially said we're going there. Um, my guess is you're gonna, it's going to be complete by the SEC spring meetings in Destin in May, and you're going to see a nine-game schedule, and you're going to see three permanent opponents and six rotating opponents. And, and that way it allows – if you're a high school student, you go into school, you sign at the University of Georgia, you will be, you will be able to play over a four-year span 
every team in the SEC, both home and away. And that's what they want more than anything. Now, there's, believe me, there's a, a minority core of, of schools that don't want the, the nine-game schedule, that want the eight-game schedule. And there's a, in the smaller minority of schools that still want divisions. Divisions is not happening. That's done. But, but the, they're, they're, the, the idea of pushing for eight games is a big deal because some of those schools realize that they need those home games, especially those home gimme games. You know, it's, it's, it's finance and it's wins. So there will be some fight about that. There's no doubt about it. But I think they'll eventually settle on the nine-game the nine game schedule and the 3-6 format because that's not only best for everyone in the league. And, again, this league has always been and always will be what's best for everyone, not what's best for one or two, which is why they share all the money equally. Um, what's best for everyone and what's best for the league and what's best for the league moving forward with their new contract, which, again, they're going to – the contract that starts in 2024 with ESPN where they're the – the, uh, the the number one and only provider of SEC sports, um, that will be redone as well. Because once Texas and Oklahoma enter the league, then you're talking about a completely different contract. Uh, that contract will be reopened and increased exponentially will be my guess. Uh, that's pretty big news. So from a Florida standpoint, Matt, if it is indeed the three constants and the six rotators, I assume you try to keep traditional rivals. Does that mean Florida obviously keeps Georgia would they keep Tennessee, South Carolina? How do you see that playing out? So it's I, I think a lot of it is they want to keep at least one the, the the you know one team will more than likely have look this is the game we cannot get rid of, um, and then you try and keep as many traditional rivalries as you can. You try and keep it as competitively balanced as you can. But no matter how you do it, there's going to be one team that gets you know that's going to get hit hard, or another team that won't get hit hard at all. Um, my guess is Florida and Georgia will that that's they're, they're going to keep that game. Um, you know the Alabama Tennessee will keep that game. You can go down the line. You're going to see games that that will be kept, and you know they're going to be kept. Um, Texas Oklahoma will be a game. Things like that. Uh, you know Arkansas LSU will probably be, be a game as well. So you look at the rivalries in the league, and you can see that. Like if you're asking me what Florida's would be, my guess is Florida would probably be is either going to be L is either going to be is going to be Georgia either LSU or Auburn and probably South Carolina. That would be my best guess. But there's, I mean, the, believe me, there's, there's literally fighting going on right now, Hack, among the, among the schools about what their three are going to be. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about the Auburn. So you think that even if you're not a non-traditional rival right now or non-traditional game, that with the 3-6 format, sure, your sure. three constant could be a new game sure. that you don't normally see. Hundred percent. I mean, wow. I, I know Florida. I know Florida fans would love Tennessee, but you have to take into account that if Tennessee is Tennessee and Alabama, you can't start loading up Tennessee. <clears throat> Florida fans would love to see Florida and LSU, but if LSU's your your you know your number one, you can't start loading up LSU with teams. If if you start to look at the threes, if for each school, there are teams that will start to get loaded up. Texas A and M. You start to think, all right, well, Texas is the lock. And you gotta, they got to play Oklahoma. So then you're at Texas and Oklahoma. Then what's your third for Texas A&M? You know, is it going to be a, a typical West team in the West part, West geographic part of the league? Or are you going to go back over to the East, you know, and have that odd situation where it's Texas A&M and South Carolina? So it's there's a lot of different factors of play right now, Hack. It's, it's, you don't want to load up a team. You don't want to give a team, make it too easy. You want to make it kind of geographically similar. So there's a bit of a rivalry there. So, so fans can travel to these games without having to get on planes. Like, you know, if, if Texas A&M is playing 
South Carolina every year like they do now, you know, that's not an easy that's not an easy lift for fans to get from one place to the other. So the idea is to kind of make it where it's easier to have that geographic type of rivalry. Final moments with Matt Hayes. Matt, final question. We got 90 seconds. We'll do more of this when Florida enters spring ball in about a month. Uh, but what I love about you, man, you don't sugarcoat a whole lot. Uh, if you're a Gator fan listening tonight, I mean, they got problems, right, coming into the 2023 season with that schedule and the quarterback room. There's not a lot of optimism, at least with Gator fans I talk to. You know what? As far as the quarterback, talk to me after the spring portal, which opens May 1 for 15 days. Now, what that means, Hack, is for those 15 days, if you want to be in the portal, excuse me, and eligible for the 2023 season, so you can go in the portal from May 1 to May 15. It doesn't mean you have to go to a school in that amount of time. You just have to be in the portal. And then June, July, August, you can figure out where you're going. So there are going to be other quarterbacks in the portal there, all right? So can they get someone that's a better fit than Graham Mertz? If you're a Florida fan, I would think you better hope so. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now, I would say this. you know, I, I know Florida fans are hoping for Garrett Nussmeyer or you know, maybe one of those Georgia quarterbacks. That's fine. You could probably, you might be able to get him, but he's not going to be eligible in the fall. That's the one thing the SEC did. The SEC added this rule where you cannot go from the spring portal. Okay, once you're out of the winter portal and you don't make a decision and you go through spring and you go through spring ball, you cannot practice within – you cannot transfer within the SEC and play the following season. So they'd have to sit out. Now, granted, it's a rule. It's also where any of these guys could go to the NCAA and appeal it and say because the NCAA is above the SEC when no matter what they say they can go and appeal that and then we'll see what happens but um that's going to be a if you're going to get a quarterback more than likely if you're Florida it's not going to be from the SEC it's going to be from somewhere else so I would start looking at quarterback battles outside of the SEC in the spring that don't go someone someone's way maybe maybe like Devin Brown at Ohio State who's competing with Kyle McCord for that starting job he's a former top 50 recruit um, you know, he's a redshirt freshman, and if he loses to McCord, you know, he's probably – is he going to sit there for two years at, at Ohio State? I don't know, especially with the way Ohio State re recruits quarterbacks. So he could leave, and that's actually the reason why Ohio State added Tristan Gebbia from, from Oregon State, a fifth-year senior, because of the possibility that something might happen a little funky with their quarterback group. So you can look all around the country and see these quarterback battles. That's probably if Florida's going to add a quarterback – in the spring portal, that's probably where it's going to come from. It'll be interesting. Certainly, uh, look, Jaden Rashad of that fiasco, but it is what it is now. It's Graham Mertz, it's Jack Miller, it's Max Brown for the time being. And like you said, we'll see if they add one during the May transfer portal. Matt Hayes, every day on XL Primetime. Of course, Saturday down south as well. Matt, you're the best, man. Thank you as always. We'll talk again soon. Okay, brother. Good talking to you. And there you go. Always appreciate my buddy Matt Hayes of XL Primetime. Of course, you get him every day uh, there, and you also read him, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Always enjoy the conversation and a lot going on in the world of college football, from Florida State extending head coach Mike Norvell to whatever they're doing at the University of Florida, Georgia losing their offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin. Uh, you got Texas and Oklahoma coming into the Southeastern Conference starting in 2024, which means the scheduling for the SEC has to be figured out by October of this year. So a ton going on, and we always appreciate Matt Hayes for joining us here on Hacker 
after dark. That'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Tuesday night edition. We certainly thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We got a lot of people to thank. Again, Matt Hayes. You also heard from a couple of uh, high school head coaches in the area. Rob Shields, the head coach of Baldwin, fresh off a trip to the Super Bowl, as he was given that for being the Jacksonville Jaguar prep coach of the year. And Brian Allen, the former Florida State Seminole one-time head coach at Lake City, Columbia. And now he's back as a two-time head coach at Lake City, Columbia. Very cool story there. After two years away from the game, Brian Allen returns to Columbia County to coach his alma mater, the Lake City Columbia Tigers. And in hour number one, Kyle Lindemann. You got him at rotoballer.com. Always talking NFL, fantasy, and draft with Kyle Lindemann. We will be back tomorrow night. Now we're in for Baloo the rest of the week. So 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as we continue the week here on Hacker. After dark, Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Tuesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday evening, and we will do it all over again on a Wednesday beginning at 6 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.